The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The nursing industry is one of the fastest-growing career forces in the world today. There are so many issues in the healthcare field these days relating to nurses that simply are not discussed in the media. Welcome to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with Leanne Meyer. Our program will help you with the most relevant information if you're in the nursing field or are planning to enter the industry. Now, here is your host, Leanne Meyer. Welcome to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. I'm Leanne Meyer, your host. And we are here today um, to talk about caring science uh, as it relates to nursing research. So uh, as nurses, um, we have uh, pushed to be accepted as professional cohorts of healthcare delivery. One of the biggest barriers that we have had is our lack of research. My personality and original training, I started out more interested in anecdotal rather than statistical information. It was only after being involved with studies or seeing the results of well-conducted studies that I began to see the value of them. The one that comes to mind is the studies that, or are the studies that were done around SIDS or sudden infant death syndrome. I was uh, a part of the army of OB nurses instructing moms to put their babies on their tummies uh, all the time at night and uh, at play and pretty much all the time. So foreign moms would push back on this concept and want to put their babies on their back and I would assure them that was not a good idea and that it could harm their babies if they uh, vomited and it went into their uh, lung. So the studies came along and showed that this was very probably a huge factor in uh, the SIDS uh, epidemic that we were seeing, the sudden infant deaths, uh, that of putting babies on their tummy. And what happened was the baby's body was so heavy that the baby could not breathe and push up its body. So um, never thought about that. And we ended up, um, uh, that was one study that was absolutely life-changing for me and and certainly showed me the arrogance of myself, but also of our our country's health care. So medicine has long used research as a foundation of practice. Nurses have been more diligent in the past few decades, but what is needed mirrors the compassionate care nurses are universally known for. We need caring science. And uh, so that's what we're going to be talking about is nursing research in in the realm of caring science. So I am really eager to welcome my guest, Dr. John Nelson, who is author, uh, co-author of the book, um, Measuring Caring, International Research on Caritas as Healing. And his co-author is Gene Watson, Dr. Gene Watson. So we are just going to be talking with Dr. Nelson today. And um, it, um, could you give us just a little bit of your background on how nursing brought you to this focus in, in research and how it became a priority for you? Sure. 
Um, and uh, by my background, um, I've been a nurse for about 30 years, um, and I uh, became interested in statistics to start looking at outcomes after about, uh, 11, about 11 years in nursing. I went and got my master's in statistics, and then I proceeded to get my Ph.D. in nursing. But it wasn't until um, about 11 years ago I'd been in business with my own statistics company for about five years, and I received a call from a hospital in Virginia. Uh, um, Dr. Karen Drankard was the chief nurse officer of ANOVA Health at the time, and she has published since published this particular study that I was and I ended up doing with her. But they were studying caring science, and they would were in um, they were desiring to have a instrument that would measure Gene Watson's theory. Now, Dr. Watson at the time, I didn't know. I had learned about her in school, but I didn't know her personally. So they asked if we could measure caring, and I said, we absolutely can. I said, we can measure anything. It's just we have to figure <laughs> out how to measure that. And so uh, they emailed uh, Dr. Watson and asked if I could jump in into this study with them. And um, after that, Gene and I uh, did many, many studies together, and um, that was sort of the beginning of how I got involved with caring science. They were wanting to know the relationship that caring had to things like job satisfaction as they were implementing Watson's theory. And so I developed a measure, and Gene and I then did about, oh, I would say 100 studies together in oh, probably about 10 different countries. Um, this was probably as recent as five years ago. And we had so much wow. research that I couldn't keep up publishing. Uh, I couldn't <laughs> keep up with getting all the dissemination. So I called Gene and I said, Gene, why don't we um, just have everybody put their studies into a book and we'll do a compilation, we'll organize it so it's useful operationally. And so that's what we did. We ended up having 42 studies, 81 contributors from seven countries, and that resulted in our book, Measuring Caring, that's put out by Springer that came out in 2012. And since then, it's just been a explosion of research in caring science, at least from, from my world. Yeah, wow, that is... Uh, kind of an amazing thing. It's those mystical things that come together at exactly the right moment, and it fits what you want, and it fits what they want, and it just comes together. I think that's so cool. So tell me a little bit about um, the history of of research, and especially of the caring research. Sure. Um, well, what's, what is interesting to me is when I first got into um, caring science, one of the most common things people would say to me was, well, you can't measure caring because it's so abstract. And I thought, well, then you can't measure coping, you can't measure quality of life, you can't measure stress, so all these other things. So I knew it was possible to measure, and we were um, um, uh, exemplifying that in our research. Now, what's interesting, though, is there are 
a, a couple sources of caring science that I utilize. There's the domain of mathematics, because mathematicians actually do study love and caring. And then there's also the theoretical or the philosophical domain of literature, uh, which nursing is much more fam- familiar with. Now, the two researchers or two mathematicians that I stumbled upon first in caring science was Reuben Hirsch. And he has a book that's called What is Mathematics Really? They have a Kindle version, so it's very inexpensive. And most math books are only like a buck because they're not heavily (laughs) sought after. So anyway, math books are inexpensive. But what I found was uh, Dr. Hirsch talks a lot about how to measure love. And I, I was just absolutely intrigued that mathematicians are providing a roadmap for investigators who actually want to measure caring. And then there's another book, um, uh, Edward Hirsch, Herschel, and it's called Love and Math. Oh, no, Edward Frankel, and it's called Love and Math. So there are books out there on mathematics and how to measure love. Now, the theoretical a review of caring is also really quite extensive. There's uh, Dr. Sigridur Hollisdorter from Iceland. Uh, she actually uh, talks about the theory of love and how that we can measure love. Uh, Dr. Jean Watson, she's actually the most cited nurse next to Florence Nightingale. Her theory wow. is, I think, the most widely used globally. Um, if you go to her website or if you follow her on Facebook, she's traveling all over the world um, teaching the concepts, the 10 concepts of caring according to her theory. Then there's Dr. Kristen Swanson, who was uh, a, a follower of Gene Watson and amended it to be more operational. Dr. John Scott, he's a physician who looks at caring uh, Dr. Zane Wolf is another uh, theorist, Carolee Coates. Now, Dr. Leininger, um, some have utilized that in caring science, but hers is more about cultural considerations so that when you're measuring caring, you need to make sure what's in caring in one culture may not be caring in another. Like here in the United States, direct eye contact is considered caring. Well, in some cultures, that's offensive and very intimate, uh, so you wouldn't want to do that. So it's very important to understand uh, what what culture is. And then there's even someone who has proposed to me that Jesus had a theory of caring, and he reviewed with me the different concepts of caring for each other and how that uh, was proposed to provide healing for from Jesus' theory. So there's all sorts of caring theories um, that have been proposed. Now, nursing itself actually utilizes caring in a more broad sense just in the uh, profession of nursing. According to the concepts that are taught in nursing school, that it is the nurse who is competent relationally and clinically when utilizing concepts of caring is able to create that human connection that maximizes the health of the patient. Now, we haven't created a scientific argument yet for that, but that's what we are uh, trying to work on, and that's what um, Gene and I, why we published our book uh, in 2012, is to get that conversation uh, in a more serious way so that we can start showing that uh, caring does matter and that caring does improve outcomes. 
So, um, so would there be sort of a, a difference? Would that be a difference then for pay rate? That if you could um, identify that a single nurse or particular nurses were able to have better outcomes because of their caring um, manner, uh, that they would be paid more. Well, I, I think there's that there's definitely that potential, and Dax Parcels and I write about this in the Measuring Caring book. I think it's Chapter Eight, and we provide it a trajectory of research where we would like to go because we propose that there's actually a cascade of healing at a biochemical marker when one cares for self or when one cares for others. So, for example, when I care for myself and I take time to really be grateful for who I am and for all the good and um, bad in my life and uh, take time to um, engage with all that I feel love with, um, we assume and we propose and theorize that there is increased oxytocin, there's decreased cortisol, there's increased DHEA, uh, there's increased cytokinines, um, there's increased IgA. So we propose that when love is perceived that there is healing that goes on internally that we can't visualize but that we can feel. Um, I think anybody that has been in any kind of a relationship or that has had a moment of um, gratitude can relate to that uh, physiological sense of calm and uh, of healing. Now, trying to show that is very difficult scientifically, but I think of all the challenges scientists have um, taken on, you know, whether they're astronomers or engineers or physicists, uh, that um, science isn't easy, and it starts with really good measures that are psychometrically tested and calibrated for the culture and the context so that they can detect if that aspect that you're measuring is healing. Now, we did one study. We've done actually several studies, but one of the studies that we did actually looked at when uh, nurses care for self and what's occurring uh, with their uh, cortisol biochemically so is there and cortisol is an indicator of stress and so what's happening when people um, care for self well what we found was that there was a statistically significant relationship between caring for self and oxytocin so that as the nurses increased their caring for self that their um, uh, or cortisol excuse me their cortisol um, decline but what was interesting is we also found that there was a secondary benefit for those who were experiencing, had experienced trauma within the last year. So when one cares for self, that they were not only having lower um, cortisol levels, but those who um, had experienced trauma actually had an added benefit in caring for self when compared to those who did not experience trauma. So we do see that there is a relationship between caring for self and um, physiology, but we would like to extend that to the patient so that when I care for right. a patient, does that same biochemical uh, Go to them too. Show up, show right. up in That's, them too. We're yeah, going to have so to like uh, go order. for a break here in just a minute, John. But um, I'm just wondering. You mentioned oxytocin several times, and as an OB nurse, of course, that pops into my brain as being feminine. So, is it possible to um, 
uh, to research with male um, nurses also? Oh, oh, absolutely. With, uh, uh, these chemicals that I've listed are in both men and women. It's, they may be expressed differently, occur at different times. For example, oxytocin occurs in both men and women when you have a back rub or you have a large bowel movement, you feel relaxed or after sex. <laughs> uh, but th- like with women, it occurs with uh, uh, childbirth because it's a natural pain reliever as well. Um, so it does occur in both genders, but when you're um, studying it, you need to make sure that it's not occurring with, not only occurring with each gender, but that it's in the specific uh, time that it needs to be measured. Now, the one thing that is challenging in biochemicals is there's many um, inhibitors to or uh, influencers for cortisol, uh, such as uh, steroids, uh, anti-anxiety, um, birth control um, uh, methods, etc. So mm-hmm. when measuring it, it takes a lot to recruit wow. uh, to measure this. So it's tough, but it can be yeah, done. Yeah, it's really uh, intricate, and uh, I can see where you'd really have to look at a lot of different issues. Um, we're going to go for a short break here. You are listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. My guest is Dr. John Nelson. He is the co-author of Measuring Caring, International Research on Caritas as Healing. And we're going to be coming back in just a minute and continuing this interesting subject. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Today's woman faces a stressful world when it comes to staying healthy. We are bombarded by media messages with contradicting ideas about fitness and nutrition. We need to keep our diet, relationships, and stress in check. It's time to get the right message and have the most fun. Join hosts Andrea Beeman, Lisa Lutan, and Michelle Fenighaus for Healthy View Radio. It's health and happiness in one show. Every Thursday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Addiction can affect our relationships, our families, our home, and work lives, but most importantly, ourselves. The recovery process can do wonders in the lives of people suffering from active addiction and also for those that love them. It's not just 12-step programs, but so much more. It's learning how to live life on life's terms. If you can relate to these issues or love someone who does, start with yourself. Start by tuning in to Miracles in Recovery with host Ray Lynch, Mondays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Hope is in your corner. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. 
To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to leannevoiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Hi, you are back again with Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, and I am Leanne Meyer. Our topic today is caring science and uh, as it relates to nursing research. So um, our, my guest is Dr. John Nelson, and he has written a book on measuring caring, which is just phenomenal to me that actually something so ab- uh, abstract could be measured. So we've been talking about that, the the way and, and the different people that have been working on um, looking at abstract concepts. So um, I'm just going to go right back to Dr. Nelson. And where would you like to go from here? Well, before the break, we were talking a little bit about looking at the relationship of cortisol and caring. So those who uh, report caring for self and uh, what we found in their cortisol levels that is that they were lower. And uh, as articulated in Chapter 8 with uh, Dax Parcels and myself in the Measuring Caring book, uh, where we would like to go is actually to create a profile of caring uh, that could even be a lab draw. So, for example, if I went to a patient to see what their um, uh, oxytocin, their cortisol, their DHEA, their IgA, you know, their immune function, all of those things that hypothetically relate to caring and so because when caring is experienced that your oxytocin would go up that your cortisol would go down etc so we have proposed that if i would draw a person's blood who is feeling truly cared for that there would be uh, improved levels in contrast to those who do not do not have um, do not feel cared for um now, when you think about what these biochemicals do, like stress, it inhibits your ability to access your frontal lobe so that you're not able to think as critically as you need to, maybe like in discharge planning or talking about what's going to be done when you're going home. So we could hypothesize and theorize that those patients who feel cared for have greater access to their frontal lobes, so they're better to have, mm-hmm. uh, able to have better conversations about how to care for themselves once they get home. So we would like to eventually show, just like many other scientists have studied other things, that when patients truly feel cared for, that they have shorter length of stay, that they have better wound healing, that they have uh, better satisfaction with care because they know how to be more involved with care. So those kinds of things um, I think would be interesting to study. Now, one of the things that people often say to me is, can everyone care? Is that something that uh, everyone yes. can do? So then that comes out, out to the concept of um, competence. Now, like any science, these questions are pondered theoretically and then they're proposed how to measure mathematically with properly calibrated instruments. So in that particular case, what I would propose is to consider looking at traits of people like with autism. Now, I came upon this thought when I was listening to a couple researchers in England. 
they were talking about the 50 different traits of autism and that mm-hmm. everybody in society has seven or eight traits, but they don't notice them because they're just not predominant enough to interfere with their life. But mm-hmm. once an individual gets up to 12 or 13 of these traits, it becomes noticeable and they may need some counseling or some guidance in how to cope relationally because the autism is um, it's, it's a way that your brain is wired. So you may not care or you may seem obtuse or you may seem cold. Well, it may not be that they're cold or obtuse or uncaring. It's maybe just how their brain is wired. So when I proposed to these researchers that um, when we teach caring, we may be actually teaching concepts that some people aren't able to engage with because their mm-hmm. brain isn't wired to engage with that dimension of caring within that particular theory. Now, they thought that was very interesting, and they said what we would propose is that you would examine the concepts of caring, use the measurement that we have in measuring the traits of autism, and then once you've identified what that deficiency is in relationship to executing the concepts of caring, that you would do workarounds. They said that's what we do in autistic training. We teach uh, people that are having uh, traits that are inhibiting them engaging in a way that they want, and we teach them workarounds. So there's all sorts of um, questions that arise in the concepts of caring, uh, but that's what science does, is that as you uh, are unfolding the new knowledge and uh, that are premised upon the theories that are being tested, that new questions arise, and then your models of research build. So this is an ever-expanding um, field of science, uh, but we do need more scientists who will measure the instruments within context and not just um, take any measure that's out there and apply it blindly thinking that Uh it's always applicable because what's like we stated earlier before what's caring in one culture might not be caring in another culture so john would those things have to happen at the moment so when there's an uh, a caring moment of exchange between a nurse and her patient is that you'd have to get it right at that time or else you wouldn't be it wouldn't uh, stay in the bloodstream long enough to be able to measure it Yep. Yeah, uh, no, that's that's a very good question. The biochemicals, uh, they vary in what their peak effect is. Like cortisol is in your system for a long time. If you're stressed, mm-hmm. it stays in your, it, the, that stays elevated for a long time. And what we found actually is those who had critically low levels of cortisol, actually they were um, destroying their body's ability to... Um, create cortisol, so we actually had to call one of the participants and say your cortisol is extremely low and your body isn't able to produce it because you've been in prolonged stress. So huh. it, it, it does raise things that, um, you know, we didn't expect. But one of the, you bring up, a, a, I think of something that, uh, that um, is interesting is in healthcare, oftentimes we don't include people that we don't perceive have caring connections with the patients, like the cooks, mm-hmm. the dietary yes. aides, the, the, the laundry people, et cetera. Yes. yes. But what, it, what I have found is those um, unsung heroes have some of the most powerful caring stories of anybody. When we, because in some of the organizations I work in, they have the philosophy that anyone can care, create a caring moment. So whether mm-hmm. you're in the finance office or whether you're down in the cafeteria or you're having your bed changed, 
that mm-hmm. that connection with that employee can be wonderful or awful. Now, mm-hmm. I have found that many organizations will teach just the doctors and nurses or direct care providers about concepts of caring. But when that, if that patient has wonderful caring clinical staff, but then the dietary aid or the laundress provides a rude word or something that is mm-hmm. offensive to that patient, all that caring is for naught. Now, yeah. what's interesting is when I ask the laundry people and the dietary people to share their stories, they are so surprised <laughs> and grateful that they can yeah. be included in the care of the patient, and they'll say, you want me to tell a caring story? Yeah. And I'll say, well, you have yeah. one, don't you? You've been alone with patients. Oh, absolutely. And sometimes they tell some of the most beautiful stories. So it's important that when we are implementing concepts of caring in an organization that we include everybody because everybody, yeah. everybody can care. Yeah. Um, I actually worked for a company that they used Quint Studer's um, philosophy of, of care, and it was that same thing. It went through the entire organization, and um, I was doing an orientation for all employees that would come through, um, be hired into the organization. And so that was one of the things we spent a considerable amount of time on, respecting each other and caring about not only others, but ourselves also. And same way there, we got some pretty amazing stories. Is there any you could share that come to mind? Um, just for an, an, a, in a general sense, there's so many different caring stories that I can think of. Um, I know when I was in Germany, for example, and uh, I was teaching about caring science at the academic center in Dresden, uh, and I had a translator because they, uh, English was their second language. <clears throat> mm-hmm. uh, but what was fascinating is when I had them talk to me about caring, and I had them put it into then a model for the German culture, mm-hmm. one of the things that they said was very important to the German culture was being true to your word. That uh-huh. was, and, and they broke up in four different groups, and all four of those groups said being true to your word is um, very important in the concept of caring. Now, that's something that I would have never thought about um, mm-hmm. as far as the concept of caring. And it's important to make sure that you're considering the context and the people that are the recipients of the care, because if you don't include what they think is caring or exclude what they think is uncaring, then you'll have a misspecified model and you will never detect how it relates to cortisol, et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. Um, now, when we have examined um, the concept of caring as it relates to outcomes, and many of these uh, studies are on my website at hcenvironment.com. I think I have like 30 some of my caring studies in addition to the uh, book. Um, but one of the things we have found is, uh, for example, the concept of HCAPS. HCAPS is a... Um, mandated measurement of patient satisfaction here in the United States. And it's like 35 questions, I want to say, that patients respond to. Now, you're not allowed to ask those questions unless you get permission or are doing collaborative research with the U.S. government. So I contacted the government and said, I want to use some of five of your questions in HCAPS in-house because I want to see how does their perception of pain, of teaching, of comfort, and of teaching about new meds, teaching about meds, teaching about discharge, how do those four items relate to 
feeling cared for. So, because the the thing is, is it's difficult to do research when it's a mandated instrument that you're not allowed to use. So, I wanted to know: hmm. Can I use caring as a substitute for uh, the HCAPS questions? And what I found was the correlation between HCAPS and Gene Watson's theory of caring was like 0.86, significant at the 0.001 level, which means wow. that those are essentially the same thing. So, if you want to improve your HCAP scores, at least according to this one study that I did. So it is, that's the limitation. It's just one study, but it was a large sample of, I think it was about 230 patients we studied. Uh, but if you want to improve your HCAP scores, I, scores, I would encourage you to utilize a concept or measurement of caring because that can serve as a substitute for HCAP since you're not able to examine that and see what actually does predict <coughs> Um, tell, tell me again what HCAP stands for. I think you said it, but I missed it. Oh, it's it's the oh I can't it's the I can't. Oh sure, no, <laughs> got, got you. Huh? Um, it's it's, about, you it's the a, about the patient. It's about the patient experience, and it's the um, the uh, U.S. government's uh, mandated measure of patient uh, experience. Okay, that helps. All right, great. So, um, we've, so it, it just go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh no! So some of the some of the other things, though, that we found it's not only that we have found that it, it relates to pain uh, and uh, caring relating to um, pain management and comfort and teaching, uh, etc. But we've also found it relates to other concepts like uh, patient sleep. We found mm-hmm. that when patients uh, feel that they have caring care providers, they sleep better. Uh, we've also found that um, they report higher caring scores. Uh, so the concept of caring isn't just about feeling good, but it's actually about having better patient outcomes, having better um, scores for your hospital, mm-hmm. and actually making an improvement in some of your reimbursement um, uh, submissions. Really? Wow. Well, that, that so certainly would make people sit up and take notice, huh? <laughs> yep. Well, and what we're just starting to get into now is we're starting to study uh, in a more, um, in, with greater depth, is what are the predictors of uh, caring for of staff. Now, we have several instruments that measure caring. We don't have just the patient's perception of feeling cared for, caring for self. But in the book, we have uh, seven derivation surveys that we've derived from the original patient one. And so we look at caring of manager, we look at caring of coworkers, we look at caring of the organization. Uh, so there's many different ways that we um, look at the concept of caring. Now, it was in, I want to say, 2000. Eight or 2009 that I wrote an article called uh, The Profile of a Nurse Effective in Caring. It was a nursing administrative quarterly to NAQ. And we, what we did is we looked at, we used Pareto Mathematics and we looked at staff who had high scores of caring and we looked at staff that had low scores of caring and we found uh, that there was a particular profile of um, nurses uh, uh, being effective in the caring concepts. Now, that was a small study utilizing Pareto mathematics, so we've since started utilizing um, Gaussian mathematics or statistics to find out what correlates with and what predicts 
um, staff's report and patient's report of feeling cared for so we can start actually enacting that operationally. Great. Just so it can, publishing it can a become study part great, of great the... Nursing. It can become then part of the everyday experience. So, um, and then those people who are not as caring can learn what are those things that other people are doing. I guess I've seen that happen before, where particularly in obstetrics, when uh, fathers come in with their wives and they really want to help, but they don't have a clue what to do. But just in showing them and teaching them and helping them do it, they say, oh, you know, I can do this. So we're going to go to break again here. It's um, hard to believe that time has gone by. But um, so this is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. I'm Leanne Meyer, and I'm talking today with Dr. John Nelson, author of the book Measuring Caring. And uh, we'll be back in just a few minutes. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. For women who have problems conceiving, all too often it can be a heartbreak, expensive treatments that don't work, and a lot of dashed hope. It doesn't have to be this way if you just know when. Join host Helen Denise as she shares stories of success from women who never thought they could have a baby, yet used amazing products and techniques to achieve such success. Every woman of every age and lifestyle should tune in to know when. Mondays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Are you tired of the healthcare system only treating your symptoms and never addressing the root cause? Discover how integrative medicine can resolve health issues through dietary and lifestyle changes and the use of natural supplements. Increase your energy, memory, mood, immune system, sexuality, and more. Join Dr. Sunil Pai and Maureen Sutton to help you take back your health with natural, evidence-based solutions. Tune in every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to leannevoiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Hi, this is Leanne Meyer with Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, and we are back on our discussion of research through the eyes of my guest, Dr. John Nelson, author of Measuring Caring. And I want to get right back into it. I know he's got a lot to tell us about. So, John, um, take us from here. Well, 
you and I were just talking about uh, what is the, when we were on break, uh, mm-hmm. what is the organization's perception of measuring caring. And what I find is that um, due to the current heavy regulatory and heavy uh, data collection um, life of organizations, they tend to want to measure only what they absolutely need to submit it, to submit for um, uh, recertification, those kinds of things. Right. So things, things like that are examined by the government, like uh, infection rates and falls, et cetera. Um, we tend to utilize things like lean, as things like root cause analysis, and all of those are important. But the thing is, is that um, my experience is, uh, been that the model of what is causing that outcome to occur is constantly changing because as they have their root cause analysis or their lean discussion or whatever it may be and they improve that, then what was predicting that outcome is now gone away. So then they have to keep chasing the new story, mm-hmm. if you will. Uh, mm-hmm. So they never really are able to examine that from a uh, more consistent way utilizing a methodology that is more dynamic and flexible. Now, one of the things that I propose is that when you are looking at outcomes, that you have a discussion about all the things that relate, and that would maybe 90 variables. It may be the number of staff, it may be the equipment, it may be the unit, et cetera, et cetera. But the one thing that we fail to include is behavior. Now, you can have all the best technology, you can have the newest hospital, you can have the most elegant environment, but if you have people that don't care or that aren't clear in how to enact the concepts of caring to make sure that that patient is safe, well, then your outcomes will always be poor. The challenge, though, with measuring something that's so abstract like you identified earlier, is Mm -hmm. very challenging and it takes time to do that. But we're getting to a point where we can start to measure that. In the study that I have, I'm just writing an article about for Creative Nursing, the journal Creative Nursing that's put out by um, Springer. Um, It's going to come out in the next month or two. Uh, But anyway, I have been spending several years working on having a discriminant tool for the United States that measures caring. Now, we've been, uh, and that's using Gene Watson's. I've done other theories as well, but Gene's is the one I use the most, or Dr. Watson's, I should say. Mm-hmm. And we've, we, have, we have tested this in, I think, I, I can think of 11 countries that I've done this study, and I've tested Gene's theory, and that we've done factor analysis. We've done it in Slovenia, South Africa. We've done it in... Uh, um, South Korea, we've done it in China, U.S., Spain, Italy, um, Brazil. Uh, those are the ones that I can think of wow. off the top of my head. But yeah. what I would like to do, is, and what I should say, what was interesting is when I tested Gene's theory in Scotland, it didn't work at all. Huh. And, be, and, and it was too, it was too um, touchy-feely, too spiritual. Uh-huh. Spirituality is okay. a very private thing there. And then uh-huh. I tried... Uh, Kristen Swanson's theory, and that didn't work at all. I did a factor analysis, and it did not load. It was not a good model fit. And what was interesting is what they were saying was consistent with my scientific findings. So it is important that when you 
uh, that it didn't fit. So it's because the patients were saying, well, what's this have to do with caring? Well, why are we talking about this? And so it's important that when you're utilizing an instrument to measure caring that it's actually been tested for model fit in that, in that context. Right. So what we ended up doing was we ended up um, creating a uh, Scotland concept of caring. It's a 15-item measure that oh. measures caring and quality, uh, and we're still using it to this day. We've used it for five years. But what I would like to do is for all of those uh, countries that, and what I'm working on, all those countries that have been tested and that Gene Watson's theory does work, um, that we would do an international comparison and find out what are those priorities. So mm-hmm. is um, spirituality, is it really important in the rank order of caring uh, so that mm-hmm. we can start paying attention to what is most important and not utilizing the instrument as an off-the-shelf um, measure? Right, right. So those kinds of things take a, a lot of time, but we're getting to the point where we have discriminate tools that have been tested internationally so we can start an in, international conversation about what caring looks like and what those outcomes are. Now, when we've looked at staff, what do, what is it import, what's important to um, have staff be able to execute caring, we found, for example, um, it's important that they have clarity in their role. It's important that they have clarity in the system. So I may want to care, but do I know how I'm to do it appropriately in my role, and do I know how to make this operationally visible you know, within the system? So do I, how, do I know how to collaborate? Do I know who to contact for different things, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So it's not just the behaviors that are important, but it's the operations that are important to measure those things to make sure you're understanding what is uh, enabling uh, caring and inhibiting uh, caring. We're um, doing an- another study in this same journal. I was actually, I'm actually the uh, guest editor for this um, special um, journal in creative nursing. Uh, but in Scotland, we are publishing a study where we found that there were six dimensions of operations that were important when you were implementing a theory of care or when you were trying to have staff uh, operationalize the concepts of caring, and that would include things like, is the charge nurse supportive? Does the, uh-huh. staff, have, yes. does the staff nurse have resources to... Um, execute that uh, caring theory? Do they feel that they have uh, support from the executive committee? Do they feel like they have access to resources when there's a question? There was two other uh, items, too, that we found, but when um, when uh, oh, I can't remember the oh dear I can't remember the name of the university in um, Scotland that was presenting, they found no effective caring and when I looked more closely at their study, I said, well, actually, you have pockets of success of caring in this hospital, so let's look at the success factors for those mm-hmm. units that were successful and then look at the units that were not successful and see if we can come up with a profile similar to the uh, profile of a nurse effective and caring that I talked about for the NAQ article. And we found those six dimensions were important from a administrative standpoint if you're going to implement that. So we'll be publishing that article as well on what is the administrative considerations when you're going to be implementing a um, 
theory of caring or some sort of framework of caring science. Wow, I, I can see you told me you were busy, but oh my gosh. <laughs> well, there's there's an interest there's an interest globally. I mean, the thing is, is when someone leaves, there's an interest globally for implementing concepts of caring in our high stress, fast paced, technical right. environment. People are globally wanting to have that human connection. Um, and so I think it's really important that uh, we provide different ways for, you know, different cultures and contexts to examine that concept of caring. I mean, when people leave in a, a hospital, they don't brag about the ventilator and the peak flow of that ventilator. <laughs> uh, <Yeah. laughs> you know, they talk about the compassion of that caregiver as they were, you know, working with them while they were vented, so mm-hmm. to make sure that they weren't distressed. And if you talk to any nurse that's uh, done direct or any care provider, I shouldn't say just nurse, anyone, any care provider that has been providing uh, care for even the, for especially the critically ill, um, the, the concept of caring is something that we don't talk about, but if you raise mm-hmm. it to their awareness and say, talk to me about a caring moment and how that helped you in clinical care, mm-hmm. um, they'll be able to identify that connection helped me make decisions mm-hmm. um, that um, benefited the patient. I mean, yeah. I had a, a, a patient, a, a Muslim patient one time. She was vented, and um, she wasn't able to uh, speak with me. And the family was a little hesitant having a, having a male nurse take care of this mother, but uh, I was one of the senior nurses, and they agreed that, you know, this probably is the best, you know, keeping our mom safe. But what was interesting is she was really distressed. She had higher blood pressure, higher heart rate, et cetera, et cetera. And what I identified just through nonverbal is that she wanted a Quran in the room. Uh, and then, and yeah. so then once we were able to get that in the room, then she wanted someone to read it to her. Now, what was fascinating <laughs> is her family wasn't able to identify that, but just uh-huh. in the quiet moments that I spent with her as she was ventilated and she wasn't able to write, uh-huh. I just did sort of a process of elimination of what her need domain might be, and then I, I whittled it down to the Quran. Um, and we were, she was much more restful. I think her outcomes were much better. And she's going to leave that hospital not talking about all the technical stuff, but she's right. going to talk about that caring moment she had with her nurse while she was ventilated. Exactly. I had an experience similar to that with um, a friend of mine who was in the hospital. Um, she had only 20% lung capacity left and was waiting for a lung transplant, and they had her in a medical-induced coma. And um, uh, we, what we have in common is we both belong to a Buddhist group, so when I came in and I couldn't speak to her, I just stood next to her and started chanting, and the nurse came running into the room and said, what are you doing? And I right. told her, I'm chanting, and she said, whatever you're doing, keep doing it, because they had been trying to get her blood pressure down for, you know, days, and they just, yeah. nothing they tried was doing it, but when I came in and started chanting, it went right down to normal. Right. So um, I just left a tape recorder that they could put on, you know, periodically. Right. But, yeah, it's that kind of thing that you can't, you know, you would never guess. But if you have a connection with the person, you can um, infer that. So one question I have is I, I'm guessing there's probably a lot of people out in bedside nursing who would really like to be involved in research in some way, shape or form. Is there some way for them to do that? How do you how do you get connected to studies that are being done? Sure. Well, um, I have people contacting me all year round uh, from all over the world wanting to get connected. That's how I just um, 
get these international studies going. Um, but there's a couple sources. They could contact me on my website at hcenvironment.com, um, and there's the contact us, and they can just email me directly. I would welcome any conversation in caring. Uh, I work with a lot of doctoral students, um, just supporting them in uh, making sure that they're getting the right measure, the right uh, methodology, et cetera, et cetera. But there's also any uh, these caring theorists. I know like Holva's daughter from uh, Iceland, she has a website. Jean Watson, of course, has lots of resources on her website. Um, so you can Google almost any of these uh, nursing theorists, and they'll have some sort of a either foundation or organization or resources. Um, some are free, some are pay, uh, but there will be literature, etc., that you can access uh, from those. But I'd be happy for any of your listeners to contact me just to have a chat or an email conversation regarding um, their uh, thought or hunch regarding uh, caring concepts and how can we uh, build the argument. Because one thing that people think about caring science is that, that it's abstract. Well, all of these theories mm-hmm. actually have specific behaviors that they propose that when mm-hmm. enacted, uh, caring is... Uh, you know, realized. So those are the concepts that we would measure, whether it's Gene's mm-hmm. 10 dimensions or it's Watson's um, five, uh, five caring uh, dimensions. So each of them have specific things that we would measure, and then we would just connect that to what the hunch is, whatever they sense makes a difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm, I can see it takes a mind like yours to be able to see those connections because the rest of us would tend to think it would be impossible. Um, to me, you know, not being somebody that would want to be in research, but having this data that could be used as an affirming um, piece that, yes, what I'm doing um, right. not only seems to make a good impact, but it, it does make a good impact. Um, yeah, that's really uh, so well, critical. It does. Well, it doesn't. One of, the, one of the cautions that I have, and I just wrote an editorial in the International Journal of Caring um, on uh, the disappearance of teaching actual caring theory in nursing programs. We're going more mm-hmm. toward um, informatics, uh, evidence-based practice, and um, uh, more of the medical model. Now, what my, my concern right. in that is, like you already identified, that evidence-based practice isn't always right. We, like we thought mm-hmm. that setting babies on their stomachs until new evidence shows right. that uh, that wasn't the best. And so it's important that as nurses, we're always paying attention to our hunch and what what really makes a difference. Well, as as a nurse and as a nurse scientist, I know that caring does matter. So it's very important yeah. that we don't let our nursing theories and caring science go, but that we rather, yeah. like other scientists, really investigate that and prove that caring does matter, not only emotionally, but uh, financially and um, physically, as well. Yeah. Yeah, yep. we're going to have to end on that note, but oh my goodness, what a wealth of information you've shared with us, and uh, you even got me excited about uh, research, and I, <laughs> that's pretty hard to do. So, um, yeah, so this has been Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing, and today we've been exploring it with Dr. John Nelson, and talking about um, his book that he co-authored with Dr. Gene Watson called Measuring Caring, International Research on on Caritas as healing 
And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing if I can get a copy and uh, look through that. I think it should be very interesting. So um, thank you very much for all of what you um, have shared with us today. And I will look forward to our listeners checking in with us again in a week. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with your host, Leanne Meyer. Be sure to join us again next Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a productive and insightful week.